0: Miss Marvel deals with a secret invasion. The 12th Doctor has to deal with two types of angels. And meet that man who is zookeeper by day and helicopter chasing superhero by night. And then it's time for Jessica Cruz and Simon Baz to get out and get a job in Green Lanterns Volume 6. Straight Ahead. Welcome to the Classy Comics Podcast, where we search for the best comics in the universe. From Boise, Idaho, here is your host, Adam Graham. Our last couple podcasts have run a bit long, and uh, I do want to say we're not going to have podcasts that long again, hopefully. Uh, While I do, as a general rule, want to do at least three different uh, books per uh, episode, uh, if we get a really long one like Essential Marvel 2-in-1, we'll probably just, uh, do that one or maybe two. Also, in a change from custom, we'll go ahead and start out with our uh, look at Miss Marvel as we continue to review Brian Reed's Miss Marvel Series in its entirety in the lead up to the Captain Marvel movie about Carol Danvers. This book is all about the scrolls and their use of their shape changing abilities in order to ke- replace key people so that they can take over the world. As we mentioned in the volume four review, that book ended with Tony Stark telling Carol's team that. Miss Marvel was a scroll, and it's revealed that there is indeed a Miss Marvel scroll out there, but Carol Danvers is actually out there herself. The book contains a flashback to how the scroll were able to get a sample of her DNA. It goes back to the Silver Age and an adventure that she had with Marvel, i.e. the original Marvel Universe Captain Marvel. And what I really like about that is that uh, they decided to tell that portion of the story. And again, it's not strictly necessary, but they decided to tell it in the uh, Silver Age art style. And it was just a really nice throwback, very well done artistic uh, pastiche, and always nice to see something new with Marvell. At any rate, Carol goes to meet with her publicist. She has some inkling of the issue with William, where the publicist had threatened William with something in order to get him to back off uh, their relationship, and he actually left her a message breaking it off. And it turns out that Carol's worry with... uh J. Jonah Jameson, which as I mentioned was kind of a dangling plot thread from the previous volume, well they don't need to worry about it because J. Jonah had a heart attack and uh, there was maybe one bad headline in the bugle, but hey, the problem just took care of itself. I don't really like that approach to uh, if if you're telling a story like that. But in fairness to Brian Reed, he may not have known that uh, they were going to go that direction. Sometimes there can be a breakdown in uh, communications at the uh, uh, comic book company. But at any rate, Carol goes ahead and calls uh, William because uh, she's concerned and a little bit confused by what happened. And we learn that Carol, uh, as far as William concerned, is already there, and she and he is, realizes what's going on. And they do a good job of capturing that realization and that very delicate balance. As he's alarmed, but he's trying not to reveal to the duplicate of Carol that he's alarmed. And I think it's a really cleverly done and Carol arrives and finds William apparently dead, which is actually the second time she's found a, uh, semi love interest, uh, dead and her own team from operation, a uh, lightning storm are on her, uh, particularly agent some believing that she's the scroll. And so she has to get away and, uh, she uh, manages to do that for a while until she uh, tracks down the scroll version of Miss Marvel, and they fight and end up both being captured by the team. With uh, with uh, the team putting a piece of cloth on one of the two carols so they can tell which is which. Um, so they're not certain which one is the scroll, but at least being able to say who is A and who is B. Uh, but when Carol is left alone with the scroll, uh, it tells her that uh, William is actually alive and that he was actually a Cree sent to investigate the scroll invasion of Earth, which they had become aware of. Which is an odd twist, and I'm wondering if this is going to be explained in later volumes. It certainly isn't in this one. Uh, there is a bit of uh, battle with the with the scroll and Carol trying to get information out of it, and then uh, it ends up blowing up the mini carrier and it kills the doctor on the ship and it leaves her really down on herself. And uh, Simon, aka Wonder Man, shows up and she actually admits everything that's uh, gone on at Master and didn't. And also, you know, taking a dim view of the things that she had done, such as saving the uh, planet back in the first book. Uh, And here she does have, uh, there's an implied encounter with uh, Simon, which is not a good thing. It's somewhat understandable, and it does just show the low point that she is at. And that's really the first three issues of the book. The second three issues is really an offshoot of the main secret invasion event, which involves repelling the scroll invasion. And she'd helped the Avengers out with most of the battle, but became aware that there was a major invasion of scrolls into Manhattan. So she flies to take on all of these scrolls single-handed. And in this story, you really do see Carol's strength. And Carol Danvers' strength is in the midst of the battle, where she really feels alive and sure of herself. She essentially shirks off, you know, all of the doubt and the uh, wariness that she had at the end of the uh, previous uh, story and just goes out and hits things. It shows her nature as a warrior, her strength as a character, someone who just likes to battle and to bring it and to take on the uh, villain. And even a bit of a sense of uh, bloodlust when it comes to fighting the enemies, which is not a bad thing to have in the warrior. And it does, I think, show her strength. And it's not in organizing things or necessarily leading at that point. That's something she's trying to work on. But when it comes to battling and fighting, that is her strength, and she does make some uh, tough moves in here. Uh, for example, a bunch of scroll. I have. Uh, shapeshift in the middle of a uh, battle and hide in a crowd of civilians. So she fires a pulse that's strong enough to knock out a bunch of civilians, but uh, won't do anything to a scroll so that she can continue to fight the scroll. And she takes steps when Agent Sum arrives to evacuate a bunch of civilians to somewhere that will be safe. And so they decide what would be safe in the midst of this is the wrath which is this huge uh supervillain prison and as she herself mentions this is kind of an odd definition of safety but any port in the uh storm however she finds some of the prisoners and uh that the scroll had actually been there and that there was a scroll that had been imprisoned down there who the other scrolls were afraid of and uh, she goes down to fight it, and it turns out to be this gigantic scroll and She fights this thing for a while uh but then she has the idea since all the scrolls were scared of it to just drop the thing down into the midst of the scrolls, and it works like a charm, and she is stunned in fact by the level of a carnage that he uh, reaps on the, uh, on all of these scrolls. And it's like, what did they do to you? And then she notices, uh, a label, uh, of Hydra on the scroll, which I, I never knew Hydra to brand things quite in that way. But that sets this stage. Uh, she says the world's gone crazy and she's going to fix it. And then the next scene we get, we get kind of just like a page, uh, a uh, cut scene of her out of uniform and threatening a, a guy and demanding that he tell her what the Ascension is. Um, I will say going to fix it right now. I don't have a ton of confidence in her ability as um, a fixer. <laughs> um, I think she's definitely a fighter and definitely has that purpose. But uh, in terms of somebody who's going to fix and correct uh, that's not really her thing. Just smashing and hitting things is pretty much how it works. Because uh, at the end of the day, the second half of this book, it collects six issues. The final three were essentially a very long fight scene, which just because of who Carol is, uh does actually say a lot about her character, how much she was into that. Um I I did enjoy the book. I did have a couple of issues uh in addition to you know the stuff I have talked about. Um, uh there were a couple of art moments uh that were kind of like gross out uh, moments that I really wondered if it was necessary to go that extreme. It's not horribly gory, but, uh, it was just a bit much for this book. Uh, the covers, I think they continue to have some of these covers because other than the issues I had with the interior art, it's, it's fine, but the covers do tend to, uh, in many ways undercut her just because they have got all of these uh, poses and the way the characters is drawn on the covers is completely different from the way they're drawn on the interior. Uh, a couple of them that stand out. Issue 27 with parts of the costume torn uh, does not look good. Issue 29 has her, you know... It, 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 It doesn't even really look like her. Uh, She's wearing like an army uh, helmet and vest and it's open partway to create the cleavage effect. This weird smile on her face and a bunch of cutesy buttons, which doesn't really fit the tone of the story at all. Despite these issues, and despite the fact that this didn't have any Anya in it, I do think the story was good. Uh, I liked uh, the revisit to the uh, Silver Age, and I also thought that her battling and the way that she approached it really does say a lot about her character. So there's a bit of character reveal in here. I'm going to give this one a rating of somewhat classy. Now we go on to something we haven't done in a while. It's Doctor Who, the 12th Doctor, Confusion of Angels. And the plot of this story uh is that the Doctor, Bill and Nardole land on a ship that's owned by Max Capricorn, who owns a fleet of uh Uh, space cruise liners and they end up arriving on this ship where there have been a series of disappearances. Now Max Capricorn was a character who appeared in a series four of Doctor Who in the Christmas special and turned out to be the villain and he turned the host which were robots that were designed to look like angels into a group of killing machines. And the hosts are also on the ship. Um, And uh, it really has this, you know, idea of these uh robots being creepy and sinister though it should be noted until Capricorn reprogrammed them the robots were not themselves uh evil in the TV series uh there are also some weeping angels that have gotten on board and that is key to why people are disappearing and the doctor himself disappears in the middle of the story but before that happens uh a sl- a uh, Slovene woman shows up, or someone we'd seen in the TV series, uh, shows up, at least um, the human being that she had uh, taken over. Because if you've seen the Doctor Who TV show, the Slavine uh, kill people and then uh, wear their skin. And in the Doctor Who uh, story, Boomtown... One of the uh was captured by the Doctor, and he was going to return her to her home planet. She revealed that she would be executed, and the Doctor was in a moral quandary until she got magically hit with energy that reverted her back to uh, baby status, and then the Doctor uh, dropped her off with another family. And apparently what they're saying is that in the good household, the Slovene grew up to be a good person and became a police officer. Now, of course, the one thing as I'm reading this is wondering whether she will turn out to be somehow crooked or sinister. And, oh, spoiler, she's not turned out to be, which on one hand is kind of a, a good surprise because, you know, it shows she reformed and, you know, it avoided doing the obvious thing. But on the other hand, is she's kind of pointless to the story. In addition to that, uh, there is no reason for her to be disguised uh, in the uh, human skin that she had taken when she was an adult before. Uh, there's no reason for her to be disguised as a human at all. As we already are involving characters from two different Doctor Who stories, It seems pointless to throw in a third just for the heck of it if the character's not really going to be any different from any other generic police officer. Still, I think the story does play out pretty well, and I do like the aesthetic matching of the Weeping Angels and the host, and it's got a good mystery, a few time travel uh, surprises, Missy plays a good role in it, and uh, there's also a nice little bit for Nardole to do. So I won't give away the whole story, but this one I'll give a rating of somewhat classy To Next up, we've got Jaguar Man, or the Jaguar. Uh, The comic doesn't seem to agree on this. Now, um, I actually could only find one, uh, story with Jaguar or Jaguar Man on Digital Comic Museum. Now, there was another story with, uh, by the same company, uh, called, uh, Jaguar or Jaguar Man created by the same, uh, writer. However, it was about a year previously and And by the accounts I've read, the character actually had a different name. This story uh, actually appeared in Zoot Comics number 2 for Fox feature in 1945. And this features the jaguar and Jago, his uh, jaguar. His secret identity is that he is Murray Maine, a zookeeper who watches over many zoo animals, including the jaguar. Some criminals stole some radioactive uh radium, as opposed to that non-radioactive radium you've been hearing about. And they want to be sure that they don't have it if they're searched by the cops. So one of throws them right into the jaguar cage where the jaguar lets out a roar and Murray Maine sees it there and decides to change into the jaguar and lets... The doctor it was stolen about know that uh, they found it and that they're going to leave it there so the criminals will uh, come back for it. And the criminals do, um, you know, it's just a simple ambush. However, the criminals do happen to have tear gas, which allows them to get away um, from a Jaguar man and escape in a helicopter. However, they must be the slowest and worst helicopter pilots in the world because uh Jaguar and Jago uh, are able to get onto a roof and uh chase after the men in the helicopter and they 're not able to shake them um, and I am not really sure there's no uh effort to explain their powers, but the thing is, a helicopter should go faster than a person. Uh, they decide to go ahead and land on the water. And uh, Jaguar Man and his Jaguar Jago jump in after them, and uh, they decide to try and spin the propellers faster on the helicopter so that they um, can get away. However, the uh, pilot is slow on pressing the button, and so Jaguar Man and Jago catch them, and, uh, they end up begging for the police to arrest them, uh, because I guess they're scared of the jaguar. And the, the story ends with Murray Maine petting the jaguar and telling a couple of kids, uh, who are at the cage that, uh, the jaguar never hurts those who are on the right side of the law which teaches kids the dubious moral that uh, they can uh, pet uh, wild zoo animals and they're going to be okay as long as they're not criminals. Uh, so apparently in the go- in the Golden Age, we were uh, relying on people to have a bit more common sense. Uh, this is an interesting story in that it appears in Zoot, which was mostly full of kitty comics and then has this superhero story in the middle. Um, I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense. Um, it wasn't a great introduction to the character, and I can see why this is the only story he appeared in. So that's all for this Heroes of the Public Domain. We'll do something a bit more interesting next time. Now we move on to Green Lanterns, Volume 6, A World of Our Own. And this one collects seven issues as Tim Seeley, who had been formerly on Notwing, takes over the writing duties. And uh, the book has seven issues in it. The first two issues uh, are a story uh, called Work Release, and it combines uh, one story that's uh, interesting and a previous and a story that happened. In the past. And essentially, the Molite planet is collapsing. And the Molites are cute little people used to living underground. And, uh, the Ungaran people, who are, uh, the same, uh, people as Abin Sur, who was the Green Lantern who provided the ring that Hal Jordan, uh, got, are there to rescue, uh, the Molots. However, the, uh, Molots have, um, deci- decided that, uh, the planet is their god and that, uh, it wants them to die. Uh, and so Jessica Cruz has got to deal with that. Uh, the Ungarans are commanded by, uh, Regent Athene Vok, and she brought her daughter Lyseth along. And uh, Athene advises the uh, uh, Green Lanterns. She's quite famous, you know. Well, her quite famous daughter gets uh, hurt in the course of operations and is about to die, and Athene is preparing to kill herself. However, Simon has got a bit of healing power with his uh, Green Lantern powers and is able to heal her. And um, Jessica is able to talk the Molats into leaving and into uh, not killing themselves. And so they're rescued. However, it's revealed that there are some Ungarans who really don't want the Molats there and who really hate them. And that will be resolved or addressed, I should say, later on in the book. The other story that is going on in terms of a flashback is that Simon and Jessica go and try and get jobs. Uh, Simon is guilted by his sister who tells him that uh, he's setting a bad example by not uh, working uh, and that she will throw him out. And uh, so Simon goes to get a job uh, working at a race at a uh, auto racetrack, uh, on a pit crew. At the same time, Jessica is encouraged by her therapist to go out and get a job. Um, and each of them go out for interviews and they disclose their, uh, their secret, you know, their way of dealing with the gap in their resume. Jessica gets asked about it. Simon volunteers in detail about how he was listed at one point as a potential terrorist and detained in Guantanamo. Uh, Jessica gives an answer about her having witnessed this murder and uh, essentially uh, been agoraphobic for so long that she never went out. And she gets offered a job working in the kitchen of this restaurant. She'd wanted to become a waitress, but they weren't sure given how much anxiety she had if waitress would be a good fit right off. Uh, Meanwhile, Simon gets turned down for his job flat and he offered information he didn't really need to offer and they may not have found out anyway. And these people's interview skills are horrible. By no means. Uh, by the way, am I saying that they should have lied? But both managed to tell the stories in ways that kind of put them in the worst possible light. I also have to really wonder what it is with Tim Seeley and jobs. His heroes having jobs. Uh, it was a big thing, for example, on Notwing that uh, the Facer wanted Notwing to go out and get a job. And now, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it's a big thing for the Green Lanterns to have jobs. Why? I mean, Simon's sister does end up relenting. But we learn that Simon has actually staying uh, in the Sector House for Sector 2814, which means he doesn't even need a place on Earth. Neither does Jessica. I mean, Clark Kent's job as a reporter helps to define him, and it also helps him in his long-term goal. But these jobs, they don't do anything. They're not really part of who these characters are or what's important to them. The story ends with Jessica saying that while they're great heroes out in the galaxy, at home they're just brown people with bad resumes. Which is actually the first time that race has become this big focus in the Green Lantern's book. And it's done in a bit ham-fisted way. Next up, we have a two-issue story, Ol' Bufunga, Where Art Thou? And essentially, Jessica is trying to talk to her manager to request permission to move out and become a waitress. However, Bolfunga, who is this big, giant uh, alien uh, bounty hunter, shows up demanding a battle with the Green Lantern of Earth. And, uh, she fights him as best, uh, she can, uh, and he really wants to fight Simon Boz. And so, Bolfunga is intent on making it so she has to call for backup. Which she does. And we see that Simon is up in bed on the, uh, house. And beside him is a woman who turns out to be not pilot. And we get some of the weakest dialogue, uh, where he calls her by her given name and she says that they, she just wants to stick with cape names. Then why did, uh, why did you tell him your real name in the first place? Plus, it turns out that Simon met her on a dating app for superheroes, which you wouldn't think there would be much of a market for just because there are only so many superheroes and if you were a superhero and you use that sort of app uh it could really be uh endangered by your enemies but at any rate uh they go uh down to earth and uh once Bofunga gets the, gets them into a place where he can speak free from being recorded on cell phones He tells his story, which is that he doesn't really want to fight to the death, but he's got a problem. He went to prison uh, and he had a good rap and did okay for a while. But then several of his people gathered that he tried to plea bargain his way to a lighter sentence uh, and implicate some of them. So they ganged up and attacked him and then a lot of other people were attacking him. And then this woman shows up called Singularity Jane, pledging to get him out of prison if he will fulfill one request for her. And uh it turns out that he, she wanted him to kill someone. And when he read Who, uh he refused uh, to do it and fled the planet. Singularity Jane... Uh, essentially has this power of a black hole, which actually makes her a really uh, cool uh, uh, villain in the right context. Well, is kind of one of these klutzy, almost over-the-top comedy villains. Um, And his dad is on the planet. His dad is ashamed of him. Um, And when Jane arrives, it turns out that the contract had been for him to kill his father, Both the Unkillable, who used to be a really great warrior, but now has grown old and feeble. And uh, the lanterns battle Jane with uh, Jessica actually just feeding her a solid dose of of lantern energy, and then Jane being able to suck her in. It's a bit terrifying. Simon is able to rescue her, but the, uh, from Jane, uh, who is ready and eager for more, but at that point, Bofunga kills Boff, who is ashamed of him, and so his rep ends up being restored. And so the fight with Jane doesn't really get resolved and nobody actually wins. So I don't really care much for this story. Then we get the final story, A World of Our Own, uh, where the Green Lanterns are recalled to Ungara, where the Molots have gotten into a lot of trouble because there has been a rising nativist sentiment and the Molots have been charged with uh, one of them killing one of the Ungarans. And uh, then you have a relationship between Lizeth and uh, Simon. You know, Lizeth is quite famous, you know. And at the end of the first issue in the three-part story, she reveals that she's part of the nativist movement Red Tide. And at first, you think that she's revealing this because being around Simon and Jessica... Has shown her, her the error of her ways, but it's really because she wants to have the leader defeated of the Red Tide movement because the, in her opinion, the leader of the Red Tide movement won't go far enough, and so she sets out to commit um, genocide and kill off all of the Molots. This story tr- is really, really political and really, really ham-fisted in the way that it goes about trying to make its points. And when you read through a Green Lantern book, Green Lantern's stories really are known for their colorful art, you know, just how gorgeous these stories can be. Here, the issue is jam-packed with dialogue. So much dialogue in here. So many balloons, so many words in so many of these balloons. And it's not a fun story at all. Overall, it's hard to say how much I'm disappointed by this turn in uh, Green Lanterns. Uh, Written by Sam Humphreys, uh, the first five volumes of this were one of my favorite things that DC Rebirth uh, did. And this book just totally turns me off to the series. One advantage of reading the trades is you can take a look and from what I've read, it didn't get any better and the series does end up being canceled soon after Tim Seeley leaves it, so I don't feel compelled to read on. I think Seely didn't understand how these characters worked and introduced a bunch of things that I don't think really fits well with uh, the tone that Sam Humphreys established. And it doesn't take it in a good direction. I think, for example, taking Simon away from his family loses one of the real charms of the character. And it's done for such a cheap reason. He doesn't have their voices right. The series isn't fun, and the art is most of the time more adequate than anything else. So overall, I'm giving this a rating of not classy. And to summarize, uh, we're giving uh, Miss Marvel Volume Five Secret Invasion a rating of somewhat classy. While it's a lot of battle and bluster, that set reveals a lot about Miss Marvel's character. We'll give Doctor Who, The Twelfth Doctor, Time Travels, A Confusion of Angels, a rating of somewhat classy, uh, some great art, some fun plot twist, and a nice final volume of uh, Twelfth Doctor comics from Titan. And we'll give a not classy rating to Green Lanterns Volume 6, A World of Our Own. Tim Seeley loses the sense of fun as well as the sense of who these characters are and completely tanks what had been a really great book, and that will get a rating of Not Classy. All right, well, that's all for now. If you do have a comment, email it to me, ClassyComicsGuy at com. Follow me on Twitter at ClassyComicsGuy. From Boise, Idaho, though, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.